Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. R.C. Carter is the owner of Carter Country Meats, a regenerative beef production company out of the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, as he, as he puts it. And I got to know R.C. through a mutual friend, Jack Carr, and started watching him and listening to him about his philosophy and views around regenerative agriculture. And naturally, there is a beautiful blend between regenerative agriculture and who hunters are in terms of the stewards of the land, uh, sustainable use, consumptive use, all of those great terms. So I wanted to have R.C. on. I want to have a good conversation. He knows his subject, he's passionate about his cows and regenerative agriculture, and he's passionate about hunting. So, enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my, is... My, does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So if you were a, um, someone I was trying to date, it would have been like, man, you were, you know, hard to get. You play hard to get game, RC. It's like the the the, and, and it's not intentional. That's just kind of our our circumstance. People really take for granted like just consistent self cell reception and Wi-Fi. <laughs> like, I mean, even if we're driving somewhere, you're like, hey, I'm gonna have some road miles, you know. But you're like every 15 minutes, you're like going through a five minute dead zone and. uh and it's, but it's kind of nice too. Mm-hmm. Then we got to keep it in perspective, you know. Kind of nice. Yeah, it's um, I don't know, man. It's like it's almost like I want to. Yeah. I hate my phone and I love my phone, right? I hate my phone that I wish I could disconnect from it. I wish that I could just leave it alone. 
I've tried in the past to do like phone-free Sundays, and I'm going to try it again, I think. But then when I know that, you know, there's that moment where you're like, oh, shit, where's my phone? And that anxiety pulse that goes through your body. Yeah, that's real. You're like, damn. Yeah, that, that's, that's as real as it gets. And that is like real. You, or you re- when you really do lose your phone, there's like that, the, the crazy anxiety. And then when you finally accept, like, phone's gone. Like, it's not coming online today. And where we're at, it's like, we're not, we're not like, we're not going to a store to get another one. Like, you've got a, there's a three, you're three to four days without a phone. <laughs> and it, it it's awesome. And it's, so, so the same thing happens, like, if you go on, like, some backcountry, you know, hunting trip, you're just like, except there's no phone. And then you hit this, like, different vibration, you hit this different frequency where you're just like back to normal and you're like, this is awesome. And then when that son of a bitch shows back up Mm. and you're like, power it up. And then it just starts bing, 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 bing. And you're like, you, it's like, it's kind of like getting hit in the head with a ball peen hammer. You're like, oh, I don't think we're built to do it. I really, I really don't. I mean, I participate, we've got social media and, uh, you know, all we we have all the stuff, all the all the things going on in the digital world, but I don't like it. Uh I know it sure doesn't help me, you know, mm. as far as in the bit What do you mean it doesn't help you? It helps you in the business. No, in the business sense it does, but as far as uh well I shouldn't say a hundred percent. Like I really love to get like I like to get on Instagram and just like the inspirational cult uh quotes like Epictetus, like, dude, these these old like Roman philosophers, like, dang, they they had it pinned down, you know, a couple thousand years ago, and and that kind of stuff is really gay. So, I I I have a love hate relationship with it, also, kind of a feast or famine type of deal. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, R.C. Carter, finally. Welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. Thank, thank you, Robbie. It's a pleasure to be on here, man. I'm, I'm stoked. Um, we were talking earlier, 79 degrees in Memphis today. Nice humidity happening outside. Single digits where you are? Yeah, I think we, we were around 9 degrees this morning. And in winter, it snow has struck <laughs> Of course again. it's winter. <laughs> Single digits. We have we have a uh, snow on top of mud, on top of snow that's on top of mud. So it's a, uh, it's really great though. We love it because it's we're typically a pretty arid area. So anytime we can get some moisture, it's it's a real blessing, you know, um, because that we know that's that's what's going to make the grass grow, and that's that's the resource out here that we really depend upon. So RC, give people an introduction to who you are, what you do. Yeah, so I'm a third generation out here in uh, nowhere, Wyoming, north central part of Wyoming. Um, been doing it as my whole life, and my family has, and my my wife and her family. So kind of born into it, you know. And I guess we we were doing that, um, and then kind of got into the meat business. You know, we were raising animals as ranchers, but. Uh, you don't really think of a cow as, you know, a top sirloin and eye around and ribeyes and all those different cuts of meat. 
Um, but we, we kind of, we got into the meat game and, um, now we have a direct consumer business and really, really into regenerative agriculture and just kind of pushing the envelope as far as, you know, what we're doing in terms of, uh, nutrition, regenerative agriculture, just experimenting. I mean, we're, um, I'm just curious, like I like to figure stuff out. I get bored easy, you know, and I'm, and I, I like to go. So it's like, let's try, let's try some stuff, mm -hmm. you know? I really believe in nature, you know, as is in this crazy, crazy world where we can't tell what up and down looks like anymore and who's telling the truth. Like nature doesn't lie, man. Like bears have sharp teeth. Um, you can freeze to death. You can get fright. Like nature just doesn't lie. And so, she's a bitch, uh, right? Sometimes he can be, man, the sun can be warm or it can just make your skin bubble too, you know? it's 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 awesome but that's what we look to is you know look look that direction in terms of you know we're all questioning what the hell we're doing here and there's a lot of answers in that you know so yeah just just another just a, a rancher doing doing what we can you know to contribute to society as a whole rc it out as you um you say you're in the meat business. Do you have like the whole processing plant, all of that, like down pat? Or you guys, how how does that work? No, we currently we have we go to a USDA processing plant to process process our animals. Because the way it works is, you could we could you if I wanted to process the animal in my garage or hanging under a cottonwood tree, I could do that. But you can't resell it. Or the next step up is you could go to a state inspected processor. Um, but then you can't go across the state line with it. So we go USDA because we, we currently um, sell our meat all across the United States to all, all the states. So we go with the USDA plant. Um, really great people in northern Colorado. And then we distribute out of, uh, out of Denver because that's a lot easier for FedEx to get a hold of. And my nephew, he runs, he runs our warehouse down there. So we there's a there's a grand total of of four of us involved in uh in the company or five of us I am not discount uh, my family and my team but yeah we just slinging slinging beef across the United States at this point or trying to anyway and the company is it's called Carter Country Meats Carter Country Meats and that's what I heard yeah. about uh, I heard about you for the first time through Jack Carr. A mutual friend okay. of ours, and started listening to you, and started thinking about you know obviously there's a a superlative, superlative a superb um, connection between what you guys do in the regenerative agriculture space and why people hunt. For sure, you raised a hunter, RC. Yeah, I've been I've been a hunter my whole life. We were we were hunting before hunting was cool. It seems like, <laughs> you know, my grandpa and uh, yeah, man. I just I remember as a kid, we'd go out and so there was like we didn't have like big walk-in freezers, but the old man he would always he'd kill an elk like right before it got really cold out, and so we'd always leave the, an elk or maybe two of them hanging in the shop you know for all winter long really you, know, you just I, 
Oh yeah. And that was like, it's actually the best way. It's the best elk is like these dry, dry aged elk, mm. you know, like typically the hind quarters on an elk are pretty tough. Yep. And, and I'm I like, don't get me wrong. Like elk burgers, good, but elk steaks are awesome. Mm-hmm. And so if I, I prefer to have as many steaks as I possibly can. And so I got to where I would take an elk just because of learning from what my dad, and my grandpa were doing is I would take an elk and I'll hang it. I'll hang the, the hind quarters for, I don't know, 35 days. What's and happening can, in that process, RC, for those that don't know, like, why do people even dry age stuff? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. You know, you have all these naturally occurring enzymes and bacteria um, that reside within the muscles. And when you, when you, when you dry age, that's basically controlling your temperature and your humidity to control the degradation of the, those muscles. And, and it's really allowing those enzymes to break down the connective tissue and the collagen, the, the parts of the meat that are tough um, within that animal. And so it does two things. It adds, it, one, it, it tenderizes the meat mm. so you can take a top round butterfly and you can turn it into a steak that's, you know, pretty dang good on your grill. Mm-hmm. And then it also, it allows a lot of moisture to de basically dehydrate out of those muscles and it, um, condenses the flavor. So it makes for a more powerful, more powerfully flavored steak. And, um, I remember we, I mean, we'd leave them outside for too long and they'd freeze. So we'd go out with a hatchet, you know, and, we were just little booger eating kids and like, you know, whittling a piece of backstrap off of a, off of this old, old elk that's hanging in the freezer, you know? So it's, uh, but that, you know, that's the way it's been done. You know, that's, we were, we were eating meat way before this stuff was coming wrapped in cellophane. And, you know, there's a whole, there was a whole different approach to it. And we've forgotten so much. Right. Uh, about, you know, we're just so fat and comfortable and complacent these days. Um, you know, we when we initially started out, you know, we we're working with this really amazing butcher. His name's Nate Singer. And we were really into the dry aging and wanting to talk about the different types of molds that we were dry aging these animals with. And so we started sending out boxes of meat and people would get it. And we're so we're, we're sending meat frozen. And they'd say, hey, this, our meat is, it's hard. Like, what's going on? We're like, yeah, it's froze. And they obviously, like, they have no idea. And so they say, well, what's wrong with it? And we're like, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. But that to me, it was such a, uh, just an eye opener that like, we're wanting to talk about the different molds because we're very far along in our education. But the, a lot of people, they don't even know how to thaw out, properly thaw out frozen meat, you know? And we're like, shit, it really, like, we've got a long road to hoe um, in terms of educating people, you know? And just getting people, technology's great, but we also, we have a real, uh, you know, we, we've, there was a lot of tried and true methods that are really perfected of these old ways of doing things that we've just kind of forsaken. And I think it's important to kind of reconnect with that a little bit. What, what is, the, is there a, a, a proper way to thaw meat? Yeah, you shouldn't really, you really shouldn't just take like something from frozen 
I mean, I we do it with hamburger all the time. You know, just take some hamburger and put it in some hot water. But really, like with a very high end steak, you should you sh it should be low and slow. You know, cook them low and slow, thaw them low and slow. So we just set it in the refrigerator for you know two to three days and let it just kind of slack out. At Have you ever been to you? You said a, a an, an amazing word. Have you ever been to South Africa or Africa, RC? I haven't. No. So the best term of art in South Africa is proper. And you say, man, that's a proper buffalo. You know, yeah. that's a proper piece of steak. That's a proper whatever you want to call it. Proper is just a great adjective for things. Um, what, what caused you, why did you start in the regenerative business? Like... What what led you down that road? Because it's not a it's not an easy road to plow. No, it's definitely the uphill. Um, but that's kind of the way we've always we've always done everything. Never really agreed with a lot. I mean, I was like the kid in school that was I was always in trouble for asking why. Mm. You know, they say, "Hey, don't do that." And you're like, "Well, why?" You know, but you know, when you're ten years old, you you only have so much life experience you know and that's really what we're doing is like you go out in the world you have experiences and you you know so then when somebody tells you something or you see something or you experience something you you filter it through your life uh you you have your you have a bullshit meter right so now you're like you filter it through and then it comes back you're like nah it doesn't really add up and so when when I got out of college in two, I graduated in 2001 and I came back to the ranch and I, I started, you know, doing improvements and dedicating myself to it. We eventually we got to a place where, you know, the next move was, you know, to plant corn and, you know, just kind of go along with what everybody else, the, the, not everybody, but the majority was mm -hmm. doing. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't like tractors. I, you know, I do. But I'd, I'd rather be dipped in cow shit than, you know, covered in hydraulic fluid or I don't necessarily love turning <laughs> wrenches or sitting on a, in a tractor for 17 hours. So I started educating myself and reading books on, you know, it's kind of these old school guys, Joel Solitin, Alan Savory. Um, he, Alan Savory was huge in, yeah, in Africa. Zimbabwe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and just like all of a sudden there's like, Come to find out, you know, I'd been to college for four years and everybody's talking about like nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, but there's like zero, there was zero conversation about biology and ecology of the yeah, soil. Yeah, yeah. And then you, so you learn, but you're like, whoa, that, but it resonates, you know, when, when, when somebody talks about that stuff and how much, you know, how soil works, um, without, human intervention and like what healthy soil looks like it just clicks because it's logical right because truth resonates on a certain frequency so even if you don't know anything about it you're like well that kind of makes sense mm -hmm. just because that's the way that it works so i just kind of you know out of my resistance to um my resistance to sit in tractors and buy chemicals i just kind of went the other way and really, it was a lot of it is just maybe out of just wanting to be lazy. Like they say, if, if you're intelligent, not that I'm any smarter than anybody else, but 
give a give a smart person a hard job and they'll figure an easy way to do it because they want to you know they want to be they're lazy you don't want to work your, so hard so in the ranching industry i'd had so many of these problems that you just you know every year it's the same problem same problem and you just fight your way through it or you step back and get a 10,000 foot view and you're like why is this problem persisting maybe we should change our management strategy or the the approach here and so when we kind of got into uh, regenerative agriculture, um, I'll tell you what, anybody that's interested in it, especially with cattle, they should check out um, Dr. Alan Williams and Understanding Ag, uh, Alejandro Carrillo. Those, I've had the pleasure of meeting both of those guys, but they're, they're awesome. I mean, mm-hmm. there's people been doing this for 40 years, you know, mainstream, but now it's just all of a sudden, it's just like starting to be kind of like, it's got a term. Niche, right? It's nouveau, right? Everyone's yeah, loving like, it. Is it regenerative? I'm like, well, of course it is. Do you have a label to prove it? And Well, what does that mean, RC? Give us a definition for those who are like, shit, Robbie, I don't even know what regenerative agriculture means. Man, I always struggle with that one. I should research it more. Understanding ag's got a really great definition. To me, though, it just means, you know, trying. Trying to operate more in symbiosis with nature trying to find some sort of an equilibrium with with nature and flow with it versus fight and force 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 because that's what commodity agriculture is it's like i mean they've just taken this i don't it's just weird to me like how can we produce food and the whole approach to commodity agriculture is producing food that is all very very uniform monocrops You want all the animals to be the same exact size, the same shape, so that Mm -hmm. the ribeye is the same size and it fits in the same box. And the whole approach is by is killing stuff. I mean, it's like commercial pesticides and herbicides. It's just like it's a it's a freaking they it just kills the biological desert apart from the monocrop. Apart from that. And so to me, I look at it and I'm like, that it's so unsustainable. Mm. We're either going to need to deal with this now or, but eventually we're going to have to deal with it. It does not work. Like you cannot just continue to kill off all the biology in our soil. When you learn that like your gut biome, like your stomach, um, that's what keeps you healthy. And that there's actually there there's more bacteria and viruses in your body than there are human cells. Like hmm. we're more not human than we are human. And <laughs> our whole food system is designed to kill all of that stuff and it's just like, you know, if you haven't been raised that way, it's just like, what? Like where is that how is this why are we not talking about this? Cuz at the end of the day, like if you're healthy, it's proven that if you are if you're eating high nutrient dense foods, you're going to be operating so much closer to your optimum. And nutrient dense foods increases brain cognition. And so I think that's really interesting, right? It's like, you know, we all have problems. You know, it's like ah, the garbage bag ripped, or uh, you know, the the UPS man got bit by the dog, or whatever the problem is. You know, my kids aren't listening to me. But if you're eating healthier foods, you have more clarity of your mind. It's easier to solve the food, solve your problems. So it's like, what's the cost of like, what's the real cost of all this processed food that like 
humanity is consuming. I, I read something that 73% of Americans' diet is ultra-processed foods. And Makes I sense. Mean, it's the, I think that I really think that's that's a, a big problem. Uh, and and basically the result of what we're seeing in our society today is just lack of nutrition. And we don't even know it. What are you seeing, RC? I know you've done a lot of research in this. What are you seeing as as you go along this sort of regenerative path, this regenerative journey? Obviously, you're in and you're out. You're getting better at it. The animals are feeling more in tune with the environment. The environment feels more in tune with the animals. Are you seeing changes in the quality of the meat, in the in the quality of the habitat? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if we I could say we're seeing a, a change in the quality of the meat. Um, it sure tastes good, you know. I feel like the one place that you could be in the meat is like, uh, cortisol levels, you know, this is a really interesting Super low cortisol levels. Yeah. So cortisol is basically, you know, stress. That's the stress hormone. So if animals are very stressed out, like you're basically, you're eating stress, like that cheap ribeye, like you're eating stress. Like to me, that really, that, that, that's really sucks. Um, to even think that you could be adding to your own stress levels just with the food you're eating. So with the meat, um, I'm sure it's there. We haven't quantitated that, but I know with the soil, and we've got to do better, but with the soil, 100%, I mean, we can we can see Do you it. know what we, your organic matter is, how it's changed over time? I, I mean, we have, we've, got the, we've got the data. This is, so this year... We're just really getting into it, and I've realized that it's like we have to have the the best data out there, and so we've hired a group, um, really awesome individuals, um, Ryan White, who was kind of he was kind of trained by a good friend of mine, Charlie Orchard from up here. Um, he had a company called Land EKG, but those those folks they that this is their business is they're scientists and they go out and they quantitate the the data and I'm like I mean I talk about it but I'm not let's I'm a cow guy like I, I can kind of sound semi articulate about it and you know fake fake it till I make it but that's what they do so we're going to go out and gather the data um this spring in fact like less than a month so we're starting i'm starting to get anxiety already and because we're not prepared but we're going to take the cows out and we're basically trying to recreate the scenario of um basically what the bison were doing you know when this country was 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 covered up with bison and try to improve improve it because you know there was a a study that was recently um, produced by the Bureau of Land Management here in the United States. And it's, they basically state, it's a 40 year study that basically states that we're all of our public land, I think 25 million acres of the public land is severely de degraded. <laughs> um, and it makes sense to me. I mean, I see it when I, and, and now that like I'm looking for it and I talking to people and I'm talking to these old timers and, I say, hey, what was this? What what did it used to be like out here? And it's 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 noticeably different within the last ten years. You know, as far as like you used to be able to ride cross country 
And in the bottom of the, we call them gullies. People call them draws, gullies, arroyos, whatever. But in the bottom, you used to be able to go across them. And now there's these like, in they call it incised uh, mm-hmm. drain or what have you. But it's just yeah, like Big erosion edge. cliff. Yeah. Yes. And it's so now when we have a big rain event, the water just runs hard and fast. There's no like, there's no turns in it to slow it down. So the faster it's moving, the more sediment we're moving down country. And it's like, that's a bad thing. Hmm. Um, and to me, it really, it really, I mean, it makes sense. You know, uh, I've been a cow guy my whole life. But when we first started grazing animals like that um, in a high intensity, low time duration strategy, it felt right, you know, and that's, I'm like more of a feel guy, you know, that's what the, some of the best hunters, they're not like looking at the moon and, you know, doing the calculation there. You just, you're out and you feel it, right? You just like, you just intuitively, you tap into nature and you know what direction to go. And, uh, and that's, so that's kind of where we get our, um, direction, but it's, it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, just kind of like a short history lesson is I, I feel like we're in the Bighorn Basin area of Wyoming. And they they claim that like around the 1870s is when the, the last of the bison were shot out of this country. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so we look back in time and we say, well, what did what was it? Like, what what did it used to be like here before the the beaver were trapped out and the bison were, um, you know, eradicated. So the closest thing we have to that is basically like trappers journals, you know. So some trapper climbed to the type yeah. of to the top of a Gannet Peak and was like, looks out and is like, this is what I saw. And he writes down, you know, so he writes in his journal. So we can kind of look back to that and get an idea. And they, they claim that there used to be between four and six million bison would come through this Bighorn Basin area every single year. And one year they would go to the west, the next year they'd stay in the middle, the next year they'd go to the east, maybe they didn't come back. But what would happen, so with with the bison, it was a high intensity, low time duration grazing pattern. So there was this massive herd, uh, and people who've ever studied any history about the American West, you know, they talk about the railroad, and it, it, the railroad, the railroad would have to stop because, uh, or the train would have to stop because it would take two and a half days for the this one single herd of bison to cross over, and so these animals are just like shoulder to shoulder in competition, and you you know, and they stayed in a group because if you were by yourself, like something would eat you. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a good place to be. Mm-hmm. So the bison were eradicated. So we have to agree upon you know that. At that point in time, before European encroachment, you know, eradicated and changed the the landscape out here, you know, there was an equilibrium. Nature had established an equilibrium, and you know, and I'm sure that the First Nations into people, those tribes, they had a role to play in that. But it was a lot healthier equilibrium back then, and so now the bison are gone. And then we have like the big cattle drives coming up from Texas and, um, you know, and that was kind of the same thing, high intensity, low time duration. But then there was no period of rest. Like the bison would come through, um, accounts from the U.S. US cavalry would say that their horses almost died because they didn't see a blade of grass for three days. 
Jeez. you know, if they fell in behind some buffalo. But yeah. the, those, I mean, six million animals in a herd, and like, mm-hmm. you may as well plow it with a tractor. Except all the the urine and the bacteria from their stomachs and the biology all got mixed in, so that that all stopped. And now you have the cattle drives with no rest, and then you have like little villages and towns starting to pop up, and everybody's got fifteen twenty cows, and they just let them, you know, they just kind of live on the edge of town. So it's just this continued hammering, hammering, hammering of the uh, the the environment. And then in 1934, the government recognized that there was there were some issues going on out here in the West. So they they cut all the West up into like little pieces of the pie. And they said, OK, Robbie, here's your piece. This is how many cows you can have. And then at that point in time, um, we completely shift from a low intensity, high time duration to a high, a low, low intensity, high time duration. So yeah. it's just. And so we've been operating with a grazing management strategy handed down by our United States, um, you know, the people that have been the agencies that have been deemed with regenerating and protecting this resource, which is our public lands. We've been doing it the exact opposite of what nature did before we showed up. So that to me right there says, hey, maybe we should try. And so that's what we're trying. We're doing now is, you know, we're we're going out this next spring. And we're going to have 1500, 1,500 animals, which is twice as many as we had last year. Um, so there'll be a total of three th- three thousand animals once these cows have calves, and we're just going to live with them, and we're going to graze them in this in this same kind of strategy. Hmm. And we've got our scientists, and we're just going to start collecting data, and you know. See, we're, we're, we know we're, we know we're doing something, um, whether, whether it's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, time will tell, but it feels right. You know, that you're talking about sort of living in harmony with the land, you know, making sure that you leave it better than, and when your cows got on it or when you guys got on it, what's your philosophy when it comes to predators? I mean, I think they definitely have a place, you know, they definitely have a place. A lot of times, um, predators. Do you accept losses as it just as a, as a sort yeah. of bystance of this is what's going to happen. Um, it's, there's just something about being sort of, again, in line with nature that there's just for me to be symbiotic, I'm going to accept some losses because that's just what I want. That's how the system is built. Yeah, I mean, we we call it the uh, we call it the the land tax, right? So that's like the tax of the land. You know, it's like nothing's a hundred percent. You're never going to have a hundred percent of the of a calf crop. Or I mean, that's what happens. Anim- animals die and um, live and let live. I I can't really, you know, I don't really relate to you know out here in Wyoming. Like the wolves is a big issue, right? People are really up in arms about the wolves and the grizzly bears too. And we don't have we don't have either in in the Bighorn the Bighorn Mountains. Um, so, you know, I I, I do think though that you know, there's would a your place philosophy for... be different if you had both? Well, I mean, it's it, a lot of it comes down to you know to this financial system that this game we're all participating in, which is like. Make some money, right? And so, if a pack of wolves shows up and eats all eats fifty of your calves one night, 
I'll bet you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're sighting your gun in the next day. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's very, it's very easy. Cause it's a, the, in agriculture is a real scarcity mindset. Um, because there isn't a lot, like there isn't a lot of extra money, you know, floating around and you can't, you can only weather, you know, one or two really bad mistakes during your lifetime, or you got to sell the place, you know? And so I think that the predator thing is, uh, it's, it's definitely real, but I, I also think I, you know, there's a, you've got, you've got kill them all and let them all live on opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. And I was like, life experience tells me, well, the real truth is like, it's always somewhere in the middle, you know, Mm -hmm. people like to pick a side and say, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of all or nothing rather than, you know, recognizing it. There's, there's a little more nuance, nuance to life and, and situation, having some situational awareness, but it's, it's a tricky one. I know people get very, very heated, um, when it comes to predators and, I, I, but I do think that like this idea, people don't really honestly understand, you know, when they think of a grizzly bear or, or a wolf or one of these top predators that, you know, they think of them more in terms of like what a, like what the book, how a book explains it. But if you've ever been out and like you've ever run across the grizzly bear when you're out in the woods and like how vulnerable one of those things can make you feel. Like, even if you've, I mean, this was a while, like, this was a long time ago, but I was hunting sheep with a friend of mine and he, so we're, we're way up in the mountains and we track these, we find these rams up in this pocket and this, this pocket was probably half a mile deep, half a mile, and maybe a quarter mile wide. And the, the whole back third, two thirds of it was the solid cliff. Hmm. We're sitting there watching these rams, waiting for them to to come a little closer, and uh, the sun's starting to come up, and we hear rocks tumbling, and we'd heard that the bears are up there eating moths, moth larvae that time of year, and all of a sudden, like, wow, look, guys, a grizzly bear, you know, how neat is that? And we're looking, and then you know, a little time goes by, and we're like, there's there's two more over there, and then there's another one. By the time it was all done, there was 11 grizzly bears. Holy smokes. You know, probably a quarter mile to three quarters of a mile, just up eating these, eating the moth larvae. And it was great. We watched them for a long time. I don't even remember. I think the sheep just kind of disappeared. We couldn't find them. And, uh, and then the wind changed and blew our scent up into the, all these bears. And it was like a bear bomb went off. There was bears running every direction. And I'll never, it's burned into my mind. Like the bears didn't know where, they weren't charging us. They didn't know where we were. They were just coming at it. And I pulled my binos up and there's this big old boar bear. And he's just like, kind of, they don't, he wasn't running like straight on. He's kind of like, it was like a truck that's got the axle kind of cocked. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And you could just see, and I look at him and he's, he's running straight at us. He's like 400 yards out. And I just see every muscle and his fat roll and i'm like oh no like if he like you just feel so small and vulnerable that you know they they've got a they've got a definite place too but yeah i don't know man so so often it's just we just cast these blanket statements like Mm -hmm. 
shoot them all or don't yeah. shoot shoot shovel and shut up you know yeah. crowd yeah rc what do you think how synonymous is the lifestyle that you just painted for us as a regenerative agriculture or regenerative livestock guy with a hunting mentality i mean it's pretty much the same you know you're just you're it's the same you know you're just like don't take more don't take more than you need you know um true 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 stockmen true hunters are all stewards of the land right mm. we're not out there to take um you're not out there to take more than your fair share and you're trying to to leave leave no trace and do better you know we're just we're trying to leave something for the future um versus the commodity norm which in which is like rape and pillage and like don't leave anything you know it's like we we both look regenerative ranching and farming and and sportsmen like look at it all the same way it's like we need to leave something for the future we're tra- we're all trying to improve improve on what is current what is currently there yeah i couldn't i couldn't have said it any better you know i think one of the things you said earlier resonated is like you don't want to you want to you don't want to kill everything off and I think that the mentality from the people who don't understand hunting or see hunting in, the, in a bad light or hunters in a bad light is that they have this idea that that's all we want to do yeah. is kill everything off, which makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. It's just a lack of, there's, I mean, it's a lack of understanding, you know, there's a lack of, under, of education there and it's just, it's so cut and dried, you know, and, and. You know, we sit here and we try to explain, explain like what hunting is with words. But at the end of the day, like when you're, when you're out there and you're like, you have these, you have these just moments, you know, a lot of hunting is just like, you're kicking your butt. It's hard work. Like it sucks. Like it's not super fun all the time, but you do it because you have these moments that are just, they're, they're mad, right? Mm -hmm. You, you know, you hopefully you get a couple of those moments on every trip that are just magic and, and words don't do it. You can't explain it to somebody. All you can do is experience that. And people that have, you know, are dug in and they're on this anti side of it. You can't I don't know how you get through to them, you know, without experiencing that, you know, and I I feel like it's it's more of one of those things that like, you know, I'm all about you know, having an open, open perspective and and having an objective awareness. But a lot of, you know, I shouldn't say a lot, but some people just are not. And, you know, I guess, hey, that's okay too, but it doesn't mean I'm going to change what I'm doing, you know? Yeah, it's funny you say that. It's, it, there's a lot of people and that's why we don't really, you know, the anti-hunters are going to be anti-hunters. You're never going to change their mind. And um, it's funny, we're about to release a series of videos this week on the bow hunting ban that's proposed or being put in place. I don't know where it's at right now in South Australia. And the argument that they're pushing forward is that they're banning bow hunting because it's inhumane. So they believe that bow hunting isn't as ethical, isn't as effective as rifle hunting. And if you dig into it, 
if you dig into the of the sort of definition of inhumane, you know, without compassion for or uh, without compassion for suffering, misery or suffering is the definition of inhumane. And you start thinking about bow hunting. Are bows getting more or less technologically advanced? Are arrows becoming more or less technologically advanced? Are broadheads becoming more engineered to be more lethal? The answer to those three questions is yes. Which then begs the question, why? To make everything more lethal. To make things more effective. Which means becoming more humane versus less humane. Right. And the idea of the idea of saying bow hunting is inhumane, yet we are okay poisoning our deer and helicopter gunning the deer. And if you had seen any footage from either of those activities, it's probably the least inhumane activity you could possibly undertake. Yet you're saying you prefer that over bow hunting just because you hate the idea of hunting. Yeah. It makes no sense. Just the the ethics of it, right? It's just it's like your your blind hate for an activity is actually um blanketing the whole premise of why you are quote unquote an animal rights person. Well, and I, I feel like a lot of those individuals or maybe maybe the mindset there is that they 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 associate like our feeling of pain with what an animal feels like they put human emotions into it and it's like that just is not the case Mm -hmm. like i mean we've got it's it's nine degrees out this morning and the cows didn't have a sleeping bag it's just they didn't have a heater they didn't have a warm coffee like they're just out there. And I mean, the thing that I've seen, like the crazy shit that I have seen animals go through, you know, uh, just like in, not even in the wildlife thing, but cows, like I've seen, I've seen a baby calf, like get stepped on. And it's like, I've had to amputate its foot. And it's just like with no, no painkiller, you know, it's just like was in one of, it was in the moment and the things flopping around. I'm like, well, this is better than that. So, and, and guess what? Like 30 minutes later, it's like trying to suck its mom. Like it's hungry. Like if you cut, if I cut your foot off, Rob, I don't know, Rob, I think we're going to have to take it off. Be like 30 minutes later. You're like, Hey, we got them sandwiches in the back. Like not, it's just not the same. Or when you watch, um, you know, just inhumane, like, can you even use that terminology? Like what makes us so much better? Then you know the wolf that eats eats the moose alive. Like they, li- they literally, I've seen I've seen coyotes take a deer down and they like they eat it alive. Like it's not like choke it out and then it dies and then we're like, all right, right, right. No, it 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 happens that way. So I think it's 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 obtuse to really even in think think that you know you give these animals uh, that same emotional connotation that humans get but i mean you you get it you know i've got a dog and 
we've got animals and we talk to them and you're just like, oh, he's a good boy. And you're like, it, I know there's a connection there, but it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty insane um, how people can take it. But you can't, you know, we have to entertain the conversation too, right? You right. know, have to, we, and, and so I think that that's, uh, I think that's, I think that's important as we all like, we all got to live here. We all got to get along. And so I'll listen to your side. You listen to my side and maybe it's some, sometimes maybe you just got to agree to disagree. You know? It's like, Hey, I respect your, your program. You respect mine. Um, but just, you know, we can't, we can't push each other too far. Yep. hundred percent. RC, I appreciate the conversation, man. I know you're sitting in your vehicle. It's digits, single digits outside. I don't think that your vehicle is on, so you must be getting cold. No, nah, I'm just so tough. Doesn't even... <laughs> no, I, I appreciate your uh, your time, Rob. It was great, great conversation. And yeah, man, keep doing what you're doing. It's important. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate the support. All right, bro. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. For in the Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky.